Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode, episode number 42 of the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas, uh, coming to you still from Miami and still without uh, the proper podcast setup. So I think this will hopefully be the last time um, of uh, dealing with kind of maybe the lesser sound quality, although we may have one more too in the process of actually moving here to Miami. Uh, so that's the reason for kind of the transition there. Uh, but we will, uh, in the very, very, very near future, get all the podcast equipment set up and good. But we don't want to be depriving you of amazing content in the meantime. So we are plowing through as is and appreciating everyone's uh, tuning in. Um, my brewers, unfortunately, officially uh, bit the dust uh, earlier this week. And uh, their awful, 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 awful hitting uh, came back to finally... Uh, bite them in the rear end. And uh, also, I think some very questionable managerial decisions uh, along the way. And uh, yeah, I'm just bottom line is they were not ready to compete in the postseason. And I don't know if I'm ever going to see my team win a, a World Series here. So uh, we'll, we'll move on from that depressing topic. Um, and the Packers at least are uh, have rebounded from their uh, icky opening week. Uh, they're doing well. Crazy game on uh, Sunday, but um, but they're looking good. I think they've got a really good chance to be six and one here if they beat the Bears in the, uh, Washington. Uh, and so, yeah, at least we got that going. And Bucking starts, uh, I believe, next week. So uh, going for the repeat title there, and uh, hopefully we got that going. So um, enough on the monologue, and excited to welcome uh, today's guest. Uh, I'm uh, I don't know much about this topic, so I'm going to be asking a lot of silly questions, but that's good. Um, and uh, we'll all learn some new things here. Um, and then for those of you that are a fan of this particular sport, this is great. And for those of you that don't know much about it, you're going to learn too. Uh, so I'd like to welcome uh, Matt Stall Connect, who is a senior manager of sports betting over at NASCAR. How is it going today, Matt? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I want to like first start off with, um, I think before we get into kind of like your specific role um, and, you know, what that means for maybe like a sports betting implication. And first, let's just talk about NASCAR in general, um, because I think there might be, you know, a a fair amount of folks in our audience that maybe are not as deep into NASCAR as maybe some of the bigger sports like uh, the NFL. So um, I think we all know it's car racing. I think we all know, like, you know, generally speaking, how it works. Um, but why don't you talk a little bit about kind of the, the evolution of NASCAR, um, you know, and how it came about, you know, why this is something you're passionate about, um, you know, why you ended up going and working there. Um, and, and maybe also if you could kind of touch on, like the format of it. I know that they have races, uh, you know, either every week or a few times a month, um, but we'd just love to know the format of how it all works from a nuts and bolts perspective. Um, and then we can talk about kind of some of the, the deeper details after that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously a lot of folks know NASCAR, right? You know, you know, the, the simple aspects of it. So, you know, we're, we're 40 cars on a racetrack, extremely intense racing, stock cars. Um, you've got, Chevy, Ford, and Toyota are the manufacturers involved with the series, um, and we've been around for a really long time. Um, the NASCAR Cup Series uh, in its current state uh, had its debut season in 1949, and um, we've, in, in many ways, been, been kind of a pinnacle sport uh, in the United States since then. Um, we have three national touring series. Uh, the NASCAR Cup Series is, is, is kind of our, our highest you know, series. 
Um, and then you've got the NASCAR Xfinity Series, which is which is one step down from that. You can almost think of like a Triple A baseball or a college football um, with some unique wrinkles to it. But that's kind of the next rung on the ladder. And then you've got the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, uh, which is the next rung on the ladder below that. So those are we, we call those our three national series. Those are the ones with uh, that are part of our national television deal. Um, those are the ones you you probably see on TV every weekend. Um, and for the purposes of this conversation, we'll, we'll kind of probably focus more on the on the Cup Series because uh, that's really what a lot of folks associate the most with NASCAR. And the Cup Series runs 30, 38 weeks out of the year. Uh, two of those thirty eight weeks are exhibition races, uh, the Clash, and then the All Star Race. And then the other 36 races are all points paying events. So what that means is we have a regular season and then a playoff. Um, we have 26 regular season races um, and then a 10 race playoff. And then the way it all kind of works is uh, drivers compete as, as hard as they can in those first 26 races. And then based on the number of points that you score um, and the number of wins that you secure, you're seated in a playoff system. Um, that then is kind of like a round by round format. Um, basically, we eliminate the bottom four drivers um, and the point standings at the end of every three weeks in those last 10 races of the season. And it all culminates in a, a four driver uh, championship race um, in Phoenix, where only four drivers that are left uh, compete for a chance to win a title. They have an even shot to win. All 40 teams that, that compete on a week to week basis are still racing in that event. Um, and only four uh, have a shot. So we're in our playoff stretch right now, which is why I kind of bring that up. And uh, we're getting ready to crown a champion, so it's pretty exciting. But um, so much that you could probably cover in the world of NASCAR. I know you, you kind of made a point about like where my passion comes from and, and how I kind of got into this. Um, the story I always like to tell is uh, my father um, worked at Kellogg's cereal company back in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, this is when I was a kid, so I was probably you know anywhere between five and six, seven years old at the time, um, and they sponsored a driver in the series. And when I was you know five, six year old boy, I just loved cars. I had a million Hot Wheels, like I just had a passion for cars at that age. And my dad kind of saw that, and as a connection for his job at Kellogg's, he would occasionally get to go to the races. He wasn't necessarily a fan. Um, but he was intimately involved with the sponsorship at the time and he would bring me home like little hot wheels cars that are with you know the number five Kellogg machine on it and i just totally fell in love with the sport that way and then once it was introduced to me he would occasionally you know bring me to races um and i just became totally obsessed with it um as i kind of became a teenager like it, it just sort of became like my thing um i was a huge sports fan growing up but NASCAR was always the one that was closest to my heart. I think in many ways, growing up in the Northeast, I gravitated towards it because it was something that only I kind of kind of enjoyed. Um, I did have some friends that liked it, but you know, growing up in a part of the country where NASCAR wasn't quite as popular, at least then, um, it was kind of my own thing. And as life kind of moved on, um, I maintained my interest in sports. And when I got to college, that kind of evolved into a, a, an interest in sports business. Um, and I had one pit stop, uh, right after college at a PR firm that wasn't in the sports world. Um, but after college and grad school, and I, I had that one pit stop at the PR firm, I immediately went to work for NASCAR. It was always where I wanted to work. 
uh, just due to having a passion for it as a kid, always loving motorsports, wanting to be close to the business of sports. Um, so I got started working here in 2017. Uh, I started off on the communications team, um, handling kind of our business communications, working with, you know, various partners, internal business units to make sure that, uh, you know, the stories that they wanted to tell get out to the, get out to the world. Um, and that the world conversely, um, had the right idea of, of the different things that we were working on at NASCAR. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And, uh, I've been in the sports betting role now for, for a few months and, uh, I've been loving it ever since. So what would somebody that is not as familiar with NASCAR be really surprised to hear about, um, when it comes to the sport and it can be anything from like how challenging it is to the format or anything else. What would somebody go, wow, I never would have thought that would be the case with NASCAR. You know, it, it's a simple thing. And I think the great thing I, what, what, about what I am about to say is that I think this is changing so much. Um, but the number one thing that I think surprises most people is just the physicality of not just NASCAR, but really all motorsports, but all NASCAR in particular. Um, a lot of folks don't realize that the cockpits of the cars in NASCAR can reach upwards of 150 to 160 degrees, um, sometimes even higher than that. And the G-forces that drivers uh, sustain during the races are extremely high. And, you know, you're trying to, to essentially with a, with a NASCAR vehicle, these are like flying bricks, right? Like they're not, they're aerodynamic nowadays, but relative to a lot of other forms of racing, they're not very aerodynamic. So you're, you're trying to essentially maneuver a flying brick at 200 miles per hour around a racetrack. And you're feeling the G-forces, you are feeling like the intense heat in the cockpit. Um, a lot of the drivers have been recently wearing whoop, uh, like those, those like Fitbit type things, so it's uh, the whoop um, wearables. And they burn like two to 3,000 calories over the course of a race. It's, it's pretty insane, the physical strain that's on these drivers. And I think a lot of people, I, I, and I get why, assume that just because, oh, it's racing, they, they just turn left or, you know, they're just going in circles. It is anything but that and um sometimes all it takes is just taking a friend to, to a, go, a local go-kart track and even just a 60 mile per hour go-kart um you'll be able to feel it there and you have to multiply that by almost 100 to get the physical strain that you'll get inside of a, of a race car so that's that's always my favorite mission so how do they deal with it being so hot on the how do they deal with it being so hot on the inside? I mean, do they wear just really loose fitting clothing? Do they have fans blowing in all over the place? I mean, what are they, how do they, I mean, cause 150 degrees or more sounds like it could really be dangerous. Well, a lot of drivers have what's called a cool box inside of the car. I think most drivers actually carry them. Um, and basically it's, it's like a cool air that gets blown into the driver's helmet that at least helps a little bit. Um, and, but a lot of it's just hydration and really it's just working your, working yourself up to it. Um, there's no question it is, it is kind of dangerous and um, it, it's one of the many risks that our drivers take. Um, and this is, this is part and parcel of why they are such good athletes. You know, they have to train for that. Um, a lot of our drivers nowadays um, are very, very into um, things like cycling, uh, marathon running. You like retired, you know, seven time champion Jimmy Johnson is a marathon runner um, in his spare time, um, triathlete that sort of thing. So um, these guys work out multiple days a week. They work with trainers. They hydrate days before a race so that they're in a good spot once they get into the car. 
Um, and the teams do have sophisticated ways of, of cooling the drivers down. But the reality is um, those cockpits get super hot just due to the way the exhaust kind of moves through the car, the heat of the engine, um, and just being in a confined small space like that. So it's, it's, it's part of the athleticism for sure. And then what about on the equipment side? So obviously so much of this comes down to how well the car is maintained, which I think is one of the things that is most interesting about this. Like you have equipment, you know, come into play in other sports for sure, golf, uh, tennis, um, even to some degree, uh, baseball, uh, not so much probably football or basketball because the equipment's pretty standardized there. Uh, but you obviously can kind of choose which bat weight and size you want. And tennis, you can choose all sorts of factors, golf, obviously, too. Um, but with NASCAR, I mean, it's everything. <laughs> I mean, it feels like, yes, the driving part is, is important. But if your car is just not a high-performing car, uh, for whatever reason, it's not going to, you know, do as well. So does that really fall on the on the pit crew? Does it fall on the manufacturer like Ford or Chevy that's making it? Like, what? how does that all come together, you know, in terms of like making sure the car is in peak performance ready to go to, to race? So it's interesting. It's a great point that you bring up. And I think there's, there's two kind of converse ways of looking at that. On one hand, the equipment is incredibly important because obviously without, you know, a good race car, a driver's not going to be able to go anywhere. And you see that, you know, in a situation where let's say a driver gets damaged in the race and maybe they have the best car. Um, that's no longer going to be the case uh, after they get into a wreck or something to get back on the racetrack. So, you know, the equipment's huge. And, and you, you brought up the OEM component. Ford, Chevrolet, and Toyota all work directly with the team um, on research and development, aerodynamic development. They have all the manufacturers have simulators that, they, that the drivers um, on their contracted teams are able to use. And then within that, you have the team who are independent contractors that work directly with the manufacturers. And the teams all kind of have their own philosophy of how to build the cars, like car setup. Um, you know, teams work directly with the drivers to find the best way to build the race cars to suit that driver's needs. Um, the team may have different philosophies of, you know, we have different, you know, track types, right, on our schedule, horses for courses, if you want to think about it that way. We have short tracks, we have super speedways, we have intermediate tracks, we have road courses. And a team, depending on the strength of their driver, the strength of the equipment that they're getting, they may decide they want to focus more on one of those track types and put more of their resources behind that. So things like that play a huge, um, play a huge role in kind of the competitive landscape of NASCAR racing. The funny thing, though, is as much as we can talk about equipment, the driver plays such a massive role. And, you know, if you look at just the driver market over the last few years, you can find examples. And, and you know, that's, that's research that our fans, your fans kind of do at home. I won't point to specific examples, but there are very recent examples of drivers who maybe replace an outgoing driver at a certain team. Same team, same crew chief, same equipment. And one driver will run 20th every week, and the next driver will come in and will be winning races. So the competitive parity that's in NASCAR is amazing. It's it's one of our best strengths in the sport. You know, anywhere between 20 and 30 cars can go out there and win every week on the basis of their equipment. So the only thing that really separates that is the drivers. And, you know, that's why you could see, you know, teams have four drivers to a team in, in some cases. 
you know, the lead driver on that team might be first in points, but the fourth place driver, the fourth driver on that team might be mired in the 20s. So again, same equipment, but the, the difference in driver skill is, is a huge component of it. So it, it's the interplay between all of that. And I think the easiest way to look at it is, you know, the equipment that you have as a driver, the team that, you know, whether it's your pit crew, your crew chief, they are in many ways like your offensive line, your receivers. If the, if the driver's the quarterback, that's his supporting cast around him. Right. So that, that will make sense. Um, but then what about like on the manufacturer side? Like, I mean, these guys are racing, what, 180, 200 miles an hour or even more. I mean, how do they get the car to go that fast and, and it, for a sustained period of time, right? Like, how do they develop the the car to make sure it can sustain those high speeds for such a long period of time, as well as, I guess, sustain crashes more easily? Yeah, it's a good question. Reliability is something that has come a long, long way in, in NASCAR. And I think for a lot of motorsports as well. And some of that just comes from just historical precedent and just historical trial and error. And if you look at races in the 70s and 80s and 90s, there were significantly more engine failures. There were significantly more tire blowouts. Um, the equipment just wasn't as reliable back then. Nowadays, the, like our OEMs and our teams, they are so dialed in. They are so technologically advanced. They are simulating what the race is going to look like a week out so like the teams have a pretty good idea of how far they can push their equipment how many how many races that an engine can can be run for you know or a certain component on the car like the teams they are so dialed in on the technology side on the simulation side they are able to kind of see like how far can we push it and because of that you don't see as much reliability uh concerns anymore i mean there's always going to be teams that push it too far right it's, it's a sport and you're, you're always trying to push that edge, but teams have a, when something does fail, teams typically have a pretty good idea of why. And a lot of that just comes from how sophisticated the technological side of the sport is. And, and the OEMs are, are a huge component of that. Um, what are OEMs for our audience that don't know? Sure. So an OEM is just a, a fancy NASCAR term for a manufacturer. Your Fords, your Chevys, your Toyotas. Um, OEM stands for original equipment manufacturer. Um, so those are the ones that, you know, they're coming up with the parts and pieces and the teams can modify it, or they might make their own pieces in accordance with what the manufacturers are suggesting. So all of that brain power together is, is really what, what allows these teams to build cars that can last for five, 600 miles. Right. So are there any kind of like uh, green slam events, kind of like tennis or golf has? Um, with regards to kind of special tournaments. So I know everything works its way up in the Cup Series um, and culminates, um, I guess, with the championship. Are there other kinds of uh, tournaments that are a big deal, like a Wimbledon tennis or a Masters in golf are? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So we definitely have a kind of our version of that. So the, the obvious, the first and most obvious example is the Daytona 500. That, that is like our biggest single day event in the sport. And that is the biggest single day prize in the sport. That is that is the masters of NASCAR, if you want to think about it that way. So you have the Daytona 500. Then, and it's, I, you know, what's what's more important to a driver or to a team? It's, it's hard to say. Is it the individual races? Is it the championship? Most teams want the championship above all else. So that championship race that's at the end of the year, that, that event that only four drivers have a shot, the highest of those four wins the championship, that race 
in many respects is almost like a major too. Granted, it's the culmination of the playoffs of the season. So it's not the biggest single day event in the state in the way that the Daytona 500 is, but in many ways, it's, it's just the biggest, not bigger. Um, so there's those two, right? And then we, we have single day events similar to the Daytona 500 that would maybe more closely align with your example of like Grand Slams. A couple of big ones just off the top of my head is the Coca-Cola 600. That is the longest race on the NASCAR schedule and traditionally kind of one of our majors. Um, and I think after that, because we don't have like a, a, a formal major designation, um, there's some debate over what, what those other two or three would be. Traditionally, we did used to have a program in the 80s and 90s through our sponsor at the time, um, where if a driver won one of the four biggest races on the schedule, they would get a million dollar prize. Fans can kind of go look up that program. Um, and that was kind of where the historical majors in NASCAR were kind of conceived. And in those days, it was Daytona, the Charlotte Cook 600 race, which I just mentioned, Talladega, and then Darlington, which is the Southern 500. Um, which is the oldest uh, kind of big speedway race on the on the schedule. So there's some debate after the Daytona 500 and Coke 600. Southern 500 is probably going to be one of your big ones. After that, there's a few others that probably fit that category. The Bristol Night Race is one. Uh, Talladega is certainly in that conversation. Indianapolis. Um, but yeah, we we're an interesting sport in that we have big single day events, and then we have the championship, which is which is kind of what teams are chasing above all. So are there only, okay, you said there are only four people that can make it to the championship. And is it just purely from accumulating points over the course of the year? Or can you also, if you win the Daytona 500, get the, an automatic bid into that? So the way that the championship format works is if you win one of the first 26 races of the year, that could be Daytona or that could be the race at Kansas. If you win one of those first 26 races and you are in the top 30 in points, you get automatic entry into the playoffs. Um, we take 16 drivers. So the way it, it's a balance, the way our point system is, it's a balance of winning and scoring points. So drivers are, are kind of concurrently trying to do those two things throughout the regular season because the more wins you have and the more points you have, the way that the seeding works at the beginning of the playoffs, you're going to improve your seeding. And drivers get bonus points at the start of the playoff based on how they performed in the regular season. So if you're one of those 16 competitors that's still going to get a shot once the season resets at the start of the playoffs, if you have a lot of wins, if you finish high in the regular season points, you're going to have more uh, bonus points to start with. Once we get into the playoffs, we eliminate three drivers, at, uh, four drivers, I'm sorry, at the end of every three-race round. So there's four rounds in the playoffs. You have three, 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 and then one. So we, we go from 16 to 12 to eight, then finally to four. And then we reset the points every time we do that. So it's, it's okay. very much so like you have like four, all sports. You have like four groups of four then basically, and then that gets you the 16 in the finals. Uh, so no, so it's everyone's competing against each other. Um, so basically like those 16 drivers that are still championship eligible, um, mm -hmm. they're all competing against each other to, to score more points, um, to not be one of the bottom four that's eliminated. And then we just keep doing that until we, we only have four left. Got it. Okay. So in, in the championship, it is just four. Correct. 
Yeah. The only, the only kind of thing that makes us a little bit unique is that in our playoffs, we still have all the competitors from the whole season, all are competing. It's, it's basically just a way of whittling down who are the, the championship contenders going to be for that championship. But you could be eliminated from the championship and you could still go out and compete for race wins. You just wouldn't be able to win a championship. Okay. So now I, want, I got another question. And if you can't answer all of it, you know, for confidentiality reasons, that's fine. But I'm just kind of curious, like, what's the range of pay or salaries um, that these guys get? Or is it similar to like tennis where it's all based on individual performance earnings? There's no salary. It's just you go win a tournament. This is how much you get. This is what the purse is um, and so forth. So I, we have a race purse, right? And I can't get into like the specific numbers of the purse, but the way that that works is um, the driver or the teams are contracted to a certain amount of purse money um, as a contingency for being a part of what's called the charter system. It's kind of like a franchise model. Um, so the team, and obviously the higher you finish in the race, the more purse money you get as a team. The drivers get a percentage of that purse money after every race. Um, and that's, individual based on what the deal is with their team to your question about driver salary driver's salary is a mixture of the purse money that they get um, as a percentage of what the team takes um, and then also sponsorships endorsements and then a lot of drivers just have a straight up salary from the team so honestly the bigger teams drivers can easily clear between 10 and $15 million a year. Um, there's some data out there that, that that's public record that shows that. Um, and then if you're a rookie driver, you know, maybe you're in the, the high, the high six figures, low millions, um, kind of mm -hmm. depending on the strength of your team, the strength of your endorsements, the strength of your sponsorships and things like that. So it's not like golf where it's the individual that's just competing. Um, it's actually like the, almost an organization like the company you ever in this case, like your dad's case, Kellogg's um, or, you know, whoever, whoever else, whatever, uh, whatever the company, I think that many, many years ago, he's working at Chanel International. They had, I think, uh, uh, Dale Trickle. Um, so, I mean, do, does the organization, is that who is actually racing and they just pick the driver that they want and they contract with them to do it? Is it, or is that That's really basically kind of how it works? Yeah, no, that's exactly how it works. It's, I think that's actually a really interesting misconception that a lot of folks have is that at its core, NASCAR really is a team sport. Um, it, it presents as an individual sport in a lot of ways, and, and in some ways it is. Um, but at its core, it really is a team sport. Um, you know, the driver is a major component to the team, and that's why I like using the quarterback example. Um, you know, in, in football par, you know, parlance, you know, the quarterback is, is in many ways, you know, probably the most important part of your offense. Much in the same way, the driver is the most important part of the race team. But the driver can't do what he what he's been able to do without a good crew chief who's calling the shots on pit road, um, making set of decisions. He can't get where he needs to do without a fast pit crew. All of that stuff. So it it truly is. It 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 is as if you know, all thirty plus NFL teams were competing on the same playing field on you know <laughs> the same week. That that really is kind of how NASCAR is. That's cool. Yeah, my apologies. It was Dick Trickle, not Dale Trickle. Um, so that's uh, that's uh, that's really uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, very very different than sports. Okay, so let's get into the <clears throat> the sports betting side of things. Um, and 
So clearly for, you know, those that might not know about it, they probably have been less likely to wager on it. So at the same time, I think, you know, as you see with all the major sports uh, in the sports leagues like NFL, NBA, probably less so in baseball, uh, uh, Major League Baseball and NHL, although they're going to be kind of getting their act together here soon, it looks like there's a lot of money to be had um, by allowing people to wager on it. Uh, it drives engagement. Um, you know, for those that listen to the podcast, they know this already, but it drives engagement, uh, drives viewership, um, you know, it drives social, it drives community. Uh, of course, it drives, you know, revenues and, and, uh, and other uh, streams of, of, of money. So, you know, what is NASCAR now doing? And now that we're up to what, 29 or 30 states that have legalized sports betting, what is NASCAR now doing on the sports betting front to, um, you know, really kind of put its, uh, you know, hat in the ring to, uh, to, to really become a part of, you know, the growing phenomenon of sports betting, you know, uh, growing here in the United States? Yeah, absolutely. I think the number one thing that we want everyone to know, and I think this is whether you are a sportsbook operator or you are just a casual better, or if you are just a fan of sports, of NASCAR, what have you. NASCAR, we want the world to know that we believe in this platform, sports betting, as a hugely important engagement tool. And because of that, we want to position ourselves as the easiest league to work with when it comes to sports betting. Um, we have three AGO partners as it stands right now. Uh, we have deals in place with AGO being an authorized gaming operator. Um, that is WinBet, uh, BetMGM, um, and Barstool Sportsbook uh, through Penn National Gaming. So we work directly with those partners um, to kind of really shape the way that NASCAR betting is um, kind of perceived for the marketplace. You know, we, we believe strongly that this is a huge uh, engagement tool um, that we can use to grow the sport. Um, and that is kind of the undercurrent of every move that we make in the space is, is there a way that we can kind of grow the sport through this engagement platform? You know, I, I don't probably have to tell you this, but there's no doubt that sports betting is probably the most intense way to engage somebody. And one of the easiest ways to engage somebody, if you want to get someone interested in a sport or some sort of entertainment property. And, and we believe really strongly that, you know, as long as you have a good responsible gaming platform in place, um, it's a great way to engage fans. Um, so that is, again, that's the undercurrent um, of our interest in this space and, and why we're pushing really hard to make ourselves known within it. So did, you know, as PASPA got repealed three and a half years ago and, you know, more sports leagues began adopting it, um, you know, getting, you know, close with the sports betting operators and sports betting world, what was that conversation like? Uh, you know, because obviously you started at NASCAR pre-PASPA, um, you know, in a different role. Um, and so what was it like, you know, going from, you know, uh, you know, manager of marketing communications, you know, uh, you know, pre and a little bit post PASPA to now actually being in a full time, you know, sports betting role. I mean, were there, was there angst among senior leadership about should we do this? Um, you know, was your role created specifically because of this? I'm just kind of curious, like how that all evolved, like, you know, as much as you can say, of course, you know, the inner workings of, of that, because, sure. um, you know, like on, on one hand, the NBA, I mean, uh, you know, Adam Silver was writing, 
uh, op-ed pieces for the New York Times several years ago advocating for this. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, probably MLB is probably a little bit been slow to adopt it. So I'm just kind of curious where NASCAR fell in there over the last few years. Yeah, so I, at the time when PASPA was repealed, I it was, what, 2018? So I was like a year and a half into my role uh, on the marketing communication side. So the way that I kind of fit into all of this was when the sports betting discipline um, was created at NASCAR, it was created almost directly right after PASPA. And I was not on that team at that time, but I was immediately assigned to be the commons communications representative uh, to, the, to this new sports betting function that we had. Um, so the way it kind of worked for NASCAR was basically there was a, an internal task force that was kind of formed. And then a gentleman by the name of Scott Warfield um, was appointed a managing director of sports betting at that time. And Scott's job was to kind of get the discipline up and running, figure out our strategy in the space, so Scott and, and a bunch of other important folks within the company, uh, Tim Clark, Brian Herbst, and a few others, kind of put their heads together and, and figured out like what what would NASCAR's role be within this space? Is this something that we wanted to go in with two feet? Is this something that we wanted to wait on? So they took some time um, to kind of figure out what the right strategy would be. And then the first partnership that NASCAR formed was with a company called Sport Radar, um, and who we still partner with to this day. Uh, to help us on the integrity front, because the, the belief was, you know, we need to make sure that if, if we get into this space, that there is no um, any funny business in terms of, you know, drivers or teams or just entities out there impacting the integrity of our races. Um, you know, if we're going to embrace this space, we want to make sure we're doing it in, our, in the right way and the responsible way. Um, so we have deals in place with both Sport Radar and uh, with the American Gaming Association on the kind of betting education front and responsible gaming front to make sure that you know we're taking a responsible approach to the state. So that was that was really the first step. Once that was all in place, the next step is we need to get a data partner. Um, and that's where Genius Sports came in and, and we still work with Genius um, to get our data feed um, to as many sports books as we possibly can uh, so that they have the richest and you know fastest data. Um, so that they can create the most accurate lines. Um, but to your initial question, just about kind of the, the the tone internally, I think it was something that we just wanted to make sure that we had the right perspective before just diving in. So there was a, a long education process, figuring out where the risks are, where the opportunities are. And then once we had that all straightened out, we were pretty bullish about going out there and saying, hey, we believe in this space. We think it's an amazing engagement tool, and and we want every you know the the community to know that we're open for business. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I think it was the same kind of conversation with all sports, right? You know, or all the sports leagues. You know, they all had to first make sure that the integrity of their league was not at risk. Uh, which you know, I. <laughs> Because we offer esports betting, for example, in, in Zen Sports on all the major game titles and leagues and tournaments and stuff like that. And, you know, that's something that we cared about there, too. And we vetted that out to make sure about that. Um, because one of the things that you got to look at is, it's like, well, what is the upside or downside for, you know, somebody to potentially do something nefarious, like throwing a match or whatever it might be. And, you know, so many of these athletes make good money um, that there's just not going to be 
I mean, why would, you know, somebody that makes, you know, even a million dollars a year or half a million dollars a year, you know, uh, jeopardize not only their career, but also go to jail for 10,000 bucks. Um, and so, you know, when you really dig into it, there's actually very little likelihood of that happening. Um, I mean, minuscule. Um, I mean, really, the you know, the Tim Donaghy scandal in the NBA is really the only thing I can think of in, you know, my entire lifetime. Um, and that was one rogue official that just, you know, went off the rails. Um, but I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, I mean, uh, these athletes are competitive. They want to win. They're compensated well, um, you know, not just with the uh, salaries or tournament endorsements, but also other endorsements outside of our tournament wins, but other endorsements outside of everything. And so when you just look at the full picture, there's just no need for them to, you know, to go down that path. You know, plus obviously it's a criminal, you know, situation. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, 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 it's important to look at the integrity piece, but it's, it's inter interesting too, because when you really look at it, it's like, yeah, why is it's not, it's not gonna be a problem here? We're good. Um, so I think that's also what made the leagues comfortable is, you know, just realizing like this, just the odds of something like that are so, 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 so remote. Um, and, uh, which is great. I mean, it's how it should be. So, um, so that's pretty cool. So I guess like another question I have is, um, you know, in terms of like, broadcasting and, and, and TV and stuff like that, you know, and, and then using sports betting to drive that engagement or possibly in, um, you know, in race betting. Um, so a couple of things there, do you foresee any possible collaborations with the, um, with the media, uh, you know, uh, partners that you have um, to provide like in-game wagers or in-race wagers? And what would those look like if, if, if that's going to happen? Well, so a few parts of your question. I think one, I definitely already, I think we're beginning to see that our media partners are getting more and more comfortable um, engaging in sports and with sports betting and the sports betting landscape in some capacity. Um, whether that be something as simple as, you know, a, a graphic on screen during the race, showcasing the odds all the way through like, hey, is, is there an opportunity to create, you know, real content around sports betting um, that can be ancillary programming? Uh, to the race broadcast. I think those are all conversations that, that are happening and will continue to happen. Um, as it relates to in-race betting, I think that's absolutely something that we're open to. Um, you know, I think in-race betting is is a really, really intriguing uh, opportunity for us. I think on the NASCAR side, it's a little bit unique because due to the speed of, of our sport relative to a, a slower paced sport like football, um, there's a little bit more that we have to do to kind of get it right. But we already, uh, between our partnership with Genius and then some of our AGOs, um, we're, we're getting to a, a better and better place as far as getting in-race wagering uh, in more sports books and, and to offer more robust options um, for in-race wagering. If you look overseas, and again, I'm probably not telling you things you don't know, but in mature gaming markets, you know, the in-race or the in-play component is a massive component of their overall handle. And um, a sport like NASCAR is, is, a, is a good fit for it. Um, you know, there's just so much movement and volatility that happens in a race. Um, and those are all betting opportunities, right? And I think the other really exciting element to that down the line will be micro betting. Um, you know, at some time in the future, we'd, we'd love to view a place where, you know, we can have fans bet on who's going to have the fastest lap, this next lap, uh, fastest pit stop, things like that. Those are all things that I think are doable. And, you know, the conversation that we're having with our partners, like 
I, I believe we'll eventually get to that point. Um, and to, to the extent that that ladder is up to broadcast, I think it'll just be about comfort level. Um, you know, we don't want to overserve our fans uh, with betting information. Um, at the end of the day, there's always going to be a segment of not just our fan base, but the sports fan base in general that doesn't want to be served with betting content. And that's certainly understandable. Um, so just trying to find that right balance with our media partners is, is critical. And um, I, I feel really good that, you know, as the space evolves, we'll, we'll be in a really good responsible place and, and know that we're kind of doing it the right way. Um, so that's an evolving conversation. Right. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, in game uh, betting uh, or in race betting or in match betting, um, it's got its advantages and disadvantages. Obviously, the advantage is people want to do something in real time, you know, quickly, uh, and they're watching the game. And so it just makes perfect sense. The other, I mean, there's other downsides, though, with regards to data feed and getting the data as quickly as possible. And, and those will get solved over time with um, with technology for sure. So, I mean, that that stuff is probably more, uh, you know, short-lived, um, you know, in terms of that. Um, so, you know, it's uh, that, that part, the data part on the, on the in-game betting will, will definitely get better over time, which is, uh, which is, uh, which is awesome. Um, yeah. So any kind of wrap up thoughts, uh, you know, moving forward here, you know, what can we expect from NASCAR on the betting side um, or, or even, non-betting side, if there's anything else cool going on there. Um, anything exciting and new coming up in the next uh, six to 12 months that uh, our audience should know about? Yeah, absolutely. So a program that we're working on right now internally that, that I'm personally really excited about is something that we're calling feature matchups. So, you know, I think one of the, the questions that I always get uh, from people that are unfamiliar with NASCAR is like, okay, like what's what's the best way to bet on NASCAR, right? Like, how do you do it? And for folks that are coming from maybe an NFL betting background or NBA betting background, they might not necessarily be familiar, like, okay, like, how do I bet on a single event like this? And the traditional way that, that folks always bet on NASCAR and, and what is still the most popular way of doing it is what we call the race winner market. So if, you know, all 40 drivers are, are listed out, their odds to win the race, you pick however many you want. And if one of those drivers wins, you win. Very simple. So that's great. And I think that's, that's an important market for us to have, especially because it gives folks the opportunity to hit a long shot, which is super exciting. And that's, that's one of the, the fun advantages, I think, of NASCAR betting is, you know, long shots occasionally hit. And in many cases, the favorite to win a NASCAR race is often like a plus 600 or a plus 500. Um, and that can be really exciting to fans. That being said, we very strongly believe that the next evolution of NASCAR betting is getting more people invested in head-to-head -head matchups. Um, and like any other, like any other stick and ball sport, you can bet two drivers head-to-head -head in the race. So let's say that we're, we're going to be racing in Texas this, this weekend, for instance, and maybe the, the last two drivers who have won races in Texas, we, our, our sports books, our sports book partners, et cetera, will match those two drivers together and you can bet which one will finish higher than the other. Traditionally, this is this has probably been like the second most popular way to bet on NASCAR, um, but it still historically has not been as popular as the race winter market, really just because a lot of fans just didn't know about it. Um, 
So the feature matchup program that we're working on is we are going to internally at NASCAR curate four matchups that we believe are relevant to the narrative of the sport on a week-to-week basis. That could be any anything from two drivers that are at the top of the point standings, like slugging it out week-to-week, scoring a lot of points. Those are maybe two drivers that will match up. Or it could be like a rivalry thing. Well, let's say the two drivers got into got into each other. They wrecked each other the week prior. Those are two drivers that will maybe pit against each other. Or we'll like mine through the field. Are there two drivers that maybe they don't have as good of equipment and they're fighting for 20th place in the point standing? But it's a really compelling battle. We can spotlight that and make that a feature matchup. So the goal is to get four matchups and then find ways uh, to build a content strategy around it on our own platforms. So that these genuinely feel like real events within the event and not just a matchup line that you're seeing on the sports book. Um, these are, these matchups will be promoted on NASCAR.com. Our partner action network will be promoting them. Um, and we have, we'll have some news and some things to announce with it, but we're going to be creating some products on our digital platform that will support um, this program as well. So that fans can literally go in and, and follow the feature matchups. Um, whether that be on NASCAR mobile or, or something along those lines. So that's probably the number one thing that we're most excited about. And we've already begun testing the feature matchup program uh, with one matchup a week with our current AGOs. And they've seen massive success with it um, right off the bat, which tells us that this is a, a case where we just need to find ways to spotlight the right things for folks to be betting on that we believe are engaging and then deliver it to them in a compelling way. I think that's always been one of the big pain points with NASCAR betting is folks just don't know the most compelling way to bet on it. And they don't mm-hmm. know between the thousands of different options of how to bet on the sport, which one should we, should someone be paying attention to? This is kind of a solve for that. Yeah. I mean, in some ways you could almost look at it like horse racing, right? You could just bet the, you know, the place, the, the places that each car finishes in. But I agree with you. There could be definitely a lot of head-to-head opportunities uh, and all sorts of other cool prop bets uh, that you know you can get into with regards to times or laps or any of those types of things. Have you ever thought of like having like a side bracket type of thing going where you have the race as a total, but then you have like a bracket of head-to-head, you know, going along for I don't know, each lap or each race or anything like that. And so in addition to the race total, you're also going up against one other person. Um, you know, again, for either part of the race or all the race, and then you can have the bracket go through all the way till the very end. Look, I, I think we're open to all different kinds of ideas. And I think that's what we believe is our point of differentiation versus a lot of the other leagues when it comes to the space. We are absolutely willing to look at the format of races, um, the format of how sportsbooks approach NASCAR betting. We are willing to work with all of those parties directly and figure out the most engaging way to deliver this content to fans and deliver these best types to fans. Um, and we're, we're not afraid of you know, taking an exhibition race, for instance, and, and finding a way to retool it in a way that is maybe more betting friendly. Um, those are conversations that we're having. Um, and I think that there's a, a lot of opportunity in that. And, you know, I think when we, when you take a look at a lot of the other leagues, like they, in many ways, just haven't been as aggressive when it comes to engaging directly with the sports books. And we feel that's a big advantage of ours. It's we're, we're the league that's willing to work directly with them and find ways to improve our sport, 
um, through the needs of their audience. So I think there's untold opportunities to do a lot of cool stuff uh, in the future uh, as it relates to format and just finding new ways uh, to deliver sports betting to NASCAR fans. That's amazing. Uh, so just to wrap up here, where can uh, fans uh, A, go to check out what's going on, the latest going on with NASCAR, and then B, check out what's going on, the latest going on with betting on NASCAR? Sure. So the main the main homepage for all things NASCAR is, and I'm sure I'm not shocking anybody by saying this, but NASCAR.com. Um, we also have a, a part of the website called NASCAR Best Center um, that is kind of just like a, a top line overview of, of all things kind of happening in the betting landscape of NASCAR. Um, it shows you some odds for the week's race, uh, kind of some key betting storylines, um, and it also... Uh, has some information on like who our authorized gaming operators are um, so fans can can know uh, where to go place the bet. Um, once again, our, our authorized gaming operators are WinBet, BetMGM, and then Barstool Sportsbook. Um, all three of them have been doing an amazing job of kind of elevating the profile of NASCAR betting, offering more bet sites, finding more engaging ways to deliver bet sites to fans, um, all of that. So definitely encourage uh, fans to check that out. Um, and then the Action Network has been an amazing partner of ours uh, in terms of kind of evangelizing NASCAR betting and, um, you know, covering the betting angles of our sport. Um, so that's a great one that fans can check out as well. And hopefully at some point, Sensports will be a partner as well, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, we're going to be. Uh, I mean, we're still a little bit earlier stage than those companies are, so they have they have a little bit bigger budgets on some of that stuff. But you know, at some point, we definitely want to be getting into some of those uh, you know title sponsorships with leagues and uh, great organizations like uh, like NASCAR. So uh, at some point, uh, hopefully, we can be talking about the partnership between NASCAR and Sense Sports. Um, so yeah, so thanks so much, Matt. This was a really super interesting conversation. Uh, I learned a ton. Uh, I know our audience learned a ton. I can't thank you enough for coming on the pod. Uh, you were a really great guest, uh, super informative. Uh, thanks again for everything and uh, just uh, have a great week. And uh, thanks again for your time. You got it, guys. I, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, always, always up to chat, NASCAR betting. So would love to come back on. You got it, man. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye.